Good morning. You heard our uh, lesson that we're going to be focusing on from the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 5 just a minute ago, so I'm not going to reread it for you, but allow me to read just uh, the last verse where Naaman, after having gone down and, and dipped in the Jordan River and experienced this, this miracle of the Lord, he then goes back to the prophet Elisha and says, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. My dear friends in Jesus, pride goes before the fall, the saying goes. That uh, arrogance and overconfidence are, uh, are dangerous quality traits that many of us struggle with at times. But perhaps just as dangerous is this feeling of inadequacy, this, this false sense of humility, feeling unfit or unqualified to carry out a role or to fulfill a task to which the Lord has called us or assigned us. And while that certainly applies on a day like this, if we were to apply that to, to men uh, in our world, in our congregation, in that, in that calling as, as fathers, what I want to talk about this morning is that I, I feel that that is perhaps no more common for many, many Christians that when it comes to that calling, that role, that responsibility that the Lord has given each of us to serve as his witnesses, and that is to, to testify about him and what he's done for us and for others to others. Someone has once said, if, uh, if the church militant doesn't even take the field, it's an automatic forfeit. So why don't more of us take the field more often? And perhaps it's because some of us feel, well, that, that's the pastor's job. I mean, he's the trained professional. After all, that's what we pay him to do. And others, um, perhaps we've come to believe that, well, you know, God only asks us to function in our sweet spot, that, that particular spiritual gift or gifts that he's given to us uniquely, that being able to speak to a stranger, an unbeliever about Jesus and about the Bible. I mean, that's a, that's a unique skill set. God's only given some to be evangelists after all. Only a few are, are qualified, able to do that. And while there may be a little bit of hint of truth in the couple of the things that I just shared with you, just the, the fact that our name is not the Apostle Paul or the Evangelist Philip doesn't get the rest of us off the hook. The Bible says, well, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. That we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, the Apostle Paul said. And, and, and then in the book of Hebrews, it says this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. With that being said, not all of us are rock star missionaries. None of us have the gifts of the Apostle Paul or the evangelist Philip or the prophet Elisha. And, and nor does the Lord expect that of, of us. But that's what makes this morning's lesson so empowering, so inspiring. For those of us who are second or fifth or tenth rate witnesses, there's a lot to be learned from the servant girl in 2 Kings chapter 5. Try to put yourself in her shoes. That servant girl must have felt among the least qualified to serve as an agent of the Almighty Lord God 
to affect the, the conversion of her pagan foreign master. I mean, after all, she's a, a mere servant girl. She probably had rarely, if ever, spoken to Naaman or even made eye contact with the guy. She was in no position to, to lend him counsel or, or to give him aid. He's the guy with the, with the position, with the authority, with the connections, with access to so many things that, that she, she simply, simply didn't. And even, even if she did have something that perhaps he didn't know, something that she knew that just might help this guy, you, you might just think, were you in her shoes, that you, you might keep that a bit close to the vest. I mean, after all, why would you help the guy who, for all practical purposes, had, had kidnapped you and forced you into slave labor? And yet, in spite of all the reasons, excuses why you think that she might not, she spoke up. There wasn't a lot that she could do. She, she didn't have all the answers. She certainly didn't have the power to heal. But she knew someone who did. And she knew that Naaman didn't know who and what she knew. And so she spoke up. She offered the advice. She extended the invitation. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. What's fascinating is that in spite of what she may have feared or what we might think, we're not given any indication that Naaman at all hesitated. It's likely that Naaman up to this point had been trying everything that he could, that he had tapped every resource at his disposal. And at this point, he was out of options and he was at his wit's end. And the hope that this girl extended. The hope that there just may be something that he hadn't tried. The hope that there just might be someone that could do something still about it was very encouraging. And so he, he, he quickly accepted that advice and went and visited the prophet Elisha. And of course, we know the rest of the story. The Lord used this, this opportunity and he used the Jordan River. He, just, he, he worked a miracle healing and ridding his body of this debilitating disease, and not only curing him of his leprosy, but also through all of this, working saving faith in this man's heart, leading this man to recognize in the Lord to be his God and his Savior, and confessing, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And later in this chapter, vowing, your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. Last summer, about this time, my wife and I were sitting around the kitchen table with Pastor Peter Reed and his wife Marlis. They currently serve in Midland, Texas. But for about a decade prior to 9-11, they served as missionaries in the country of Indonesia. Indonesia was and is still a predominantly Muslim country where it is illegal for a Christian to strike up a conversation with a non-Christian about Jesus or about the Bible. In fact, were someone to do that, that is a crime there that is punishable by imprisonment and, and more likely death. In order for that conversation to be had, that conversation has to be initiated by the non-Christian. But how to make that happen? So Pastor Reed and Marlis, kind of like couples do, kind of tripping over each other as they're telling parts of the story, 
shared a story about a dear friend of theirs named Augustine. Augustine was a, a humble Christian Indonesian lady who worked at the school where Marlis worked. Marlis was a, an office manager there. Now, Augustine was not the school superintendent or principal. Augustine was not the lead teacher. She was not worker in an office. She was a, a humble teacher's assistant in one of the classrooms. And for years and years and years, Marlis lived just a, a humble Christian life of service to that school and to those students, to, to the other staff, and of course, to the Lord. Well, the Reed said that just a, a couple months before 9-11, Augustine suffered a stroke and she was rushed to the hospital. And the superintendent appealed to Marlis if, if Pastor Reed would do a favor and go visit Augustine in the hospital. Of course he did. Not, not long afterwards, Augustine died. And the staff was, was heartbroken at the loss of their dear friend Augustine. So much so that the school superintendent, he didn't know how to and he didn't want to personally deal with the grief of his staff. And once again, he appealed to Marlis, would, would her husband, would Pastor Reed be willing to do a favor and talk to the staff? Of course, he accepted that too. So he said he came into that room one morning, there's a hundred people in this room, most of them Muslim, many of them with open ears and open hearts in their grief. Pastor Reed passed a stone around the room and he asked, as each person held that stone, would they just recall a story, a memory about their dear friend Augustine? And as that stone made its way around the room, each one of them shared a story about how Augustine had just always been there for them, praying for them doing little acts of kindness, sometimes big acts of kindness, actually paying for one of their surgeries when their own Muslim family would not, offering words of comfort and encouragement in difficult times, and each one of them referencing the faith of Augustine in, in her God, in her, in her Jesus, as they referred to him, and ways in which he demon she demonstrated Jesus' love for them. Pastor Reed said that he had the opportunity that morning to talk to more Muslims about Jesus in one setting than he, than he had in the 10 years that he had been prior to that. He said that this life, humble life of Christian love and service in, in that school had, upon her death, led to this, created this opportunity for Pastor Reed that he never otherwise would have had. Now, did Augustine know the Bible as well as Pastor Reed? Could he verbalize the, the truths of the gospel as clearly, as powerfully as Pastor Reed? Maybe not, probably not. But like the Lord did for Naaman with that servant girl, and ultimately for the prophet Elisha given that opportunity, the Lord used Augustine, creating this opportunity for Pastor Reed, again, an opportunity that neither he nor the, the prophet Elisha would have otherwise had. Now perhaps... Some of you here today are, or may be, a future pastor or missionary or teacher or outreach team member, and if so, God be praised. The harvest is plentiful, and believe me, the workers are, are very few. But for many of us, that, that won't be the case. And yet, the Lord can and will use you like He did the servant girl. And you can live a life of Christian love. You can let your gospel light shine in practical ways 
in the lives of those around you. You can let those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you can put those into practice in, in, in your life on behalf of those around you. And you can point to others to the source of those beautiful things. You can tell them about your Jesus who, who lived the perfect life for you and for them and did so not just to show us what we need to do, but to do it on our behalf, to, to earn our righteousness, to become our holiness before God. You can tell them about your Jesus who took your and their sins upon himself and, and suffered and died and paid for them. That full and free forgiveness is available to them and to you and to all. You can tell them about your Jesus who, who defeated death at Easter Sunday. And because he lives, promises that through faith we too have life eternal with him. And the, the underlying truth that supports all of this is the fact that your God, your Father in heaven, your Savior God is just that. He's a merciful, compassionate, loving Savior God. He's a God who has used other humble servants in your life. Perhaps your dad or your mom or grandparents, Sunday school teacher, a youth group leader, friends who have either shared the gospel with you that it might be planted there and or over the years continue to encourage you in that faith. You've got a God who you know that you can count on, who's good and faithful to every promise, that regardless of whatever that other person's situation is, whatever their, their need is, that person that you care about and is either struggling in their faith and or doesn't know Jesus at all, whether that need is, is faith or forgiveness or salvation or, or peace or hope or or healing, or meaning, or purpose in life, you name it, he's good for it. You don't have to worry that he's going to let you or them down. You don't have to worry that if you point them to him that, that he's not going to be there. You've got a God who cares. The, the cross of your Jesus is the guarantee that he cares. The, the empty tomb of your Jesus is the guarantee that that he's got the, the power and the authority of your Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth, is, is your reason, your, your courage to speak up. Did you know that uh, 85% of the people who come to church the first time come, they say, because a friend, an acquaintance of some kind invited them. Only 5% come because of the pastor. Us pastors try to not to take the statistics personally, but they are what they are. Do the math. You are 17 times more effective as an evangelist than pastor is. Why is that? Is it because you know the Bible better than pastor? Is it because you are more up to speed on 21st century outreach methodology than pastor? Is it because you're wittier, more clever, a better Christian apologist, better looking than pastor? Some of you, yeah. <laughs> but no, what it means is that God can and does use each one of us. What it means is that the best context in which to extend a gospel invitation or to share the message of Jesus is in the context of a relationship. And you have far more relationships with far more people, particularly unchurched people, than pastor does. And even if you were given the opportunity to talk to some of your unchurched acquaintances, they'd, they'd be a bit skeptical. I mean, they've got their, their presuppositions, their stereotypes of pastors, like... I mean, he's got to do it. He's got to try to get me to come to his church. He, if he doesn't do it, he doesn't get paid. Right? But you, 
You have no ulterior motives. There's already a relationship that exists. They already trust you and respect you. And, and God has, like he did with the servant girl in the life of Naaman, God has put you into the lives of these other people intentionally for a reason. For a meaningful, noble reason, an eternal reason. So you may not consider yourself a missionary. And you may not be a publicly called pastor or, or a prophet, but you are a powerful tool in the hand of a mighty God for the, the spiritual healing, the spiritual welfare, the eternal salvation of others. And I promise you that in Jesus, you do have what it takes. Amen. So therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to this work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.